Thank you for inviting me to read. Uh, today's reading comes from the Psalms. Blessed, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, not sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is the way of the Lord. Thank you, Anna. If you can keep your Bibles too open uh, in, uh, to Psalm 1 as we go through it, that I'm sure that would be helpful to you as I go through it. But uh, let's pray that God will speak to us through this text. Lord, we give you great thanks that you are speaking, God. We thank you that you revealed yourself, your, your word, um, through scripture. And we thank you for the privilege of sitting under it. And we pray that we will listen with obedience in our heart. We will listen with humility. And we, we pray that these words will change the way that we live and think, that we may live for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. As many of you know, I moved to the U.S. when I was 12. And I, when I moved to the U.S., the, the, I... Uh, discovered a curious custom. When you sneezed, people said, God bless you, or bless you. Over the years, I've heard many explanations of why people say these things. And some say it's because it dates back to the medieval time, when apparently people believed that when you sneezed, it was your soul trying to escape. And you said, God bless you, to put it back. I'm not exactly sure why the soul's so eager to escape and how that would put it back, but that, that's one explanation. Another explanation is about the Black Plague. Um, so one of the first signs that you have caught the plague wa- was uh, that you started sneezing. And so people said, bless you. It, 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 was, it was a way of saying, well, I hope it goes well. I hope you recover. I hope you make it through. Um, I heard other explanations too, but in general, I think this is true. The way that we bless people, when we say bless you, when we bless people, we usually mean, well, good health, or I hope things go well. Uh, We we mean prosperity in many ways. And the psalmist today gives us a very specific idea of what a blessed life looks like, what blessing looks like to us. And the whole psalm is about that. It starts as, blessed is the man. Right? Blessed is the person. And then the rest of the psalm is a description of what that blessed life looks like. And uh, also, I, I should say, before we go on, clarify that when the Bible says blessed, it also means sort of happy are those, right? For how fortunate you are. So before we go on any further, before we start, I want to ask, um, start out by asking, what sort of blessing do you seek? What sort of blessing do you seek? What sort of happiness do you seek in your life? How would you like your life to turn out? And how would you like um, the lives of your children, friends and family to turn out? What sort of blessing do you seek? And the psalmist, to explain, turns to this famous image. Uh, 
picture of a blessed life. The blessed man is like a tree planted by the streams of water that yields its fruit in seasons and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Verse 3. On the surface, it sounds like everything that he does, this blessed person is somebody who um, has nothing wrong going on in his life. He's like King Midas. Everything he touches turns to gold. Every business he enters succeeds. He has perfect spouse, perfect children, perfect job, perfect house, and sparkling white teeth. I'm very envious of the people who have sparkling white teeth. Anyway, um, but what is the what, what is the psalmist really talking about? Is that what we ought to be uh, wishing upon each other when we say we bless you? I bless you. Let's look at the imagery a bit more closely. What's the secret of this tree? Is that the is that is the secret that it doesn't face any difficulties in life? That nothing goes wrong in this tree. In other words, is the source of blessing external here? Well, I think the picture that the Bible gives us, the psalmist gives us, that, that it's not true. The blessing, the source of blessing is actually internal. It's in how he handles these changes and these difficulties that inevitably come into our life. That's where the secret of blessing lies. You see, it's a tree planted by the stream of water, verse 3. It's rooted deeply next to that source of life, and that's the secret. It's not that it never faces difficulties in outward circumstance. It's just that it's ready to face those difficulties because it has the internal source of life in him to be able to face those difficulties. It draws its strength and joy, satisfaction from the stream of living water that's flowing beneath him and inside him. That's how he manages to be fruitful, not wither and prosper. And that makes sense out of verse 3, the rest of verse 3, doesn't it? Because it says it yields its fruit in its season. In due season, it bears fruit. It's not that it's fruitful all the time. It might even look like it's dying at times. When it's barren and the, and the fruit has all fallen away, a tree goes through all sorts of difficulties. It might be a severe drought, perhaps a time when he loses his job. There might be a, um, a, a storm when the health is failing. Maybe not my health, but somebody else uh, close, to, uh, close to me, their health. And the whole season of winter, Maybe he's, 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 he's going through, um, he's being an outcast because he's a Christian, or he, he's, he's being tossed aside. But you see, it still survives. Its leaves do not wither. Even if the fruit fall away, it's digging deeper and deeper into the root, into it, the, the source of its strength in those times. Look, look, look at the contrast. Look at the contrast. Look at the wicked. They are like the chaff that the wind drives away, verse 4. You see how this is exactly the opposite of this tree. Whereas the source of blessing for the tree is internal, the blessedness of the wicked is entirely dependent upon the outward circumstance. They are like chaff that blows up when the wind carries them up and down when the wind carries them down. When their career is going well, they're happy. When they have money, health, family, relationship, uh, when they're perceived as important by other people, they feel good about themselves. They are at the top. And of course, when these things are taken away, they're down. And not just down, but they're devastated. 
because they go up and down depending on the circumstance. Since their source of joy and happiness, blessedness, is external, how they feel depends entirely on the outward circumstance. So let me ask you the question. What kind of happiness do you want in your life? What kind of blessing and joy do you want in your life? If what you're looking for is entirely outward circumstance, that if that's what you, why you came to church, that's what you look for in your life, that's how you manage your life, that's how you build your life around, then you are, not like, you are like the chaff. You are like the chaff. You are not really a Christian. We will love God when life is good and hate him when life is bad. And you see how the picture of a blessed man, this joyous man, is someone who is rooted, whose life is not built on the outward things, but something else, the living source of life. No matter the circumstance, there's something about him. He does not die. He lasts. In due time, he bears fruit. And I know, I'm sure you've met people like this in your life. I was sharing this, and uh, Reese was telling me uh, on Thursday how he, uh, a while ago, went to uh, Africa on a mission trip. And the whole team heard about this lady who was blind and who was just uh, helpless in many ways. And so the team went and visited uh, this blind woman. But he said that despite having so little, having been blind, having blind, and he, she had this fountain of joy that was contagious. And she, they walked away, the team walked away, being encouraged by this blind and poor woman than having encouraged her. My first English tutor in the U.S. was like this, Mrs. Kidner. She had an automobile accident, and she was paralyzed um, all, all in the entire body. She could talk, but she couldn't do much more. But she had great joy in helping people, and one of the people that, uh, so I was, being, I was helped by her. I went and uh, visited her each week, and I got my English lesson from her. And she was this sort of person. If you looked at her her circumstance, no one would have blamed her if she was angry at God. But she wasn't angry. She was dependent on him. She knew him, and she drew her life from him. And even when she went through the winter, she didn't wither. She wasn't sapped of life, even when literally, physically, she was being sapped out of life. So what sort of blessing do you want in your life? Do you want to be more like the chaff, or do you want to be more like the tree? I hope you're saying, well, I want to be more like the tree. How do I become more like the tree? How do I get this happiness that's not determined by the circumstance? Well, the psalmist goes through, doesn't he? He first talks about what he does not do, the ways of chaff, um, and also what he does. So let's go through the ways of chaff. He does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the ways of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the mockers or scoffers. And I think you can see maybe that there is a certain progression here. Walking, standing, and sitting. And you know how it is. Imagine if you're, that you're a young man, you had a girlfriend. And she said, let's go to IFC to shop, to walk around, to window shop. And you reluctantly uh, agree because, well, you know, it's just exercise at this point. <laughs> but as you walk with her, she goes by a jewelry store and she stops. And she looks at the shiny thing intently. And you think, oh no, 
But there's still hope. There's still hope to walk, a chance to walk away. But then she goes into the store and she sits down. And you know it's all, it's all over. <laughs> but it's not wicked to buy a piece of jewelry. But you see how these temptations work. It's a progression in many ways. It starts with walking with the wicked, getting their counsel and going, well, okay, let me do, let me, let me, let me do that. And then stopping and thinking about it, stopping and standing to think about how attractive their life is, lifestyle is, what it would be like to have that life. And we know that's all over when that somebody joins this group of scoffers, people who mock God's law, people who want to live their own way and make fun of people who live God's way. And let's face it, sin sometimes looks attractive, especially when everybody's doing it. It's a lot easier to lie on your CV than actually go and and earn the stripes. When premarital sex is the norm, sex looks more attractive than waiting until marriage. Someone having an affair outside of marriage looks enticing, sometimes inconsequential. Who would know? Cheating on an exam, many things. Sin looks enticing. But you see, a blessed man does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor sit in the seat of a mocker, uh, stand in the way of sinners, or nor sit in the uh, seat of sinner, uh, scoffers. And one reason why we know that is because the moment is a momentary pleasure that, they, that will not last. They will have their ups, but they will also have their downs. The psalmist t- tells us that these actions and the people who do them will be blown away by the wind. They will not stand in the judgment of this life. Maybe something will happen. Maybe the person cheats and he's found out. They will not stand the judgment. And if they stand the judgment here on here on earth, they will not stand the last judgment that will come. Verse 5. They also may look attractive amongst the sinners. When everybody's sinning and you're part of that sin, part of the crowd, it may look good. But then you place that person in the group of righteous people. They will immediately feel ashamed. And the thing is, we all will stand in front of God. And when we have walked and stood and sit in the ways of sinners and mockers, we will feel ashamed. We will not last. It also means uh, not uh, living for more substantial things, more weighty things, that, things that will last now, how hard people to how hard um, people work to get their first house and the second house and the toys and vacation. What will they do? What, what? So what if they do? Will they last? Will they be able to take them to their grave? I mean, it's a, a silly thing. I mean, it's an ob- obvious thing. But don't we just feel like don't we know the sense of foolishness of people who burn pictures of BMW to their ancestors, money to their ancestors? Don't we sense the foolishness of that? They do not last. They will eventually be, uh, will, will be burnt away, uh, will burn away. And no wonder um, that uh, these who go against the teaching of God are called chaff here. John the Baptist will later on say that God's winnowing fork will come and separate the wheat from the chaff and burn the chaff with unquenchable fire, Matthew 3.30. So let's ask ourselves, are we following the ways of the wicked? Or are we following God? Are we living for insubstantial things? Or are we 
living for more glorious things, things that are weighty and that things that are eternal. But then he goes through what he does not do, but then he also uh, talks about what he does do, what endures. How do we live a life that endures, that weighty life? See verse 2. It says that he delights in the law of the Lord. The law, the word is Torah, and Torah really means not just the first five books, but really the instructions of the Lord, isn't it? It's teachings of the Lord. He delights in God's teachings. If you're asking what marks of a, what, what's the mark of a godly man, it might not be the person who comes to church, who person who evangelizes, who person who gives his possessions away. One of the things that he, uh, oh, it is that, it's only that if he delights in doing it. If he delights in God's teaching, and if he delights in following God's law, there is a delight in, uh, in, in obeying God's laws, God's teachings. It's a picture of a person who lives not by his own thoughts, but, God, but, but by God's thoughts. It's a picture of a person who actually loves being corrected. When God shows him a better way, when God rebukes him, when God says, what you're doing is not right, he delights in being rebuked. He delights in being taught that there is a better way. He delights in the teachings of the law. Lord, so do you delight in God's teachings? Do you delight in God's instructions? And secondly, this person meditates on the law day and night. What does that mean? I don't know how much you meditate, uh, throughout the day, I know in, often in this busy city, city, it's just even hard to read a chapter of the Bible, meditate. But what does that mean? I think it first means that we think about God's teachings and we chew on it to make it come alive. We, what that means is that we, when we're taught something, we think about its implications. We think about its applications. What does that mean for my life? So this person goes, it says um, he delights and meditates. So we wander around. We, throughout the day, it's a picture of a person who goes throughout the day saying, if this is really true, a blessed man meditates and delights in God's law, what does that look like? How should I do that? How should I do that? How should I do that, I do that in my home? How should I do that in my workplace? It's a person who's chewing over it and saying, how can I apply this to my life? Think about last week's sermon, last week's text, um, Psalm, one, uh, Psalm 19. What does it mean for my words and my thoughts to be acceptable and pleasing to God? What does that mean? How do I think this way? If I'm facing this person who's angry at me, how do I, how do I make my thoughts? How do I make my meditations be delightful to him, be pleasing and acceptable to him? A person who's thinking through the teachings, and trying to flesh that out in the, in the life. That's what meditating means. And also, it equally means um, that it's preaching to ourselves, preaching to ourselves what we've learned. We might go around today, this week, saying to ourselves, God is my stream of water. God is my identity. God is my source of joy. Think of that now. Think of that, my soul. Think of that. Or as you enter your work, saying to yourself, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable and pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Preaching God's teachings to ourselves. 
This is what it means to be rooted, to live by the streams of that water. She delights in God's law. She meditates on it. She draws her life from it. She builds her life around it. She knows that she lives for the eternal things. She knows that her life is grounded in God's teaching. So even though people may sway back and forth, she knows that she is building her life on a firm foundation, foundation that will last eternity. That's her, uh, so when the promotion comes, she's happy. But she knows that that will, that will not last, right? So she's thinking, God is my source, so, source of eternal uh, joy. Even when she loses that job, it's hard, but it's not devastating. She knows that God watches over her, that she is with her, that she has built her life in a way that pleases God. How blessed is that person? How blessed is she? And one more thing before we go, before I end um, this series on summer songs and psalms and, and, and today when we delight and meditate on God's teachings, it doesn't mean that we're just thinking about what God wants us to do. Actually, large part of Torah, large part of the Pentateuch, and the entire Bible is what God has done for us. Surely the psalmist delighted and meditated on the fact of how Israelites came out of Egypt, out of that slavery. Surely the psalmist thought about what God did in his mighty power. Surely the psalmist thought about how glorious Moses came, uh, Moses seemed when he came down with the law. Surely uh, the, the psalmist delighted in God's salvation of Israelites and how he's part of that salvation. And that must be, as Christians, what we must delight and meditate on. In fact, that's really what the whole scripture is about. It's not about what we must do, but what God has done for us. Think about what God has done for us. Friends, God has saved us from sin and the penalties, death. God became a human being, and God lived here on earth, and God was crucified on the cross. He bore God's own wrath so that we won't have to, we don't have to face that wrath. And he's going to come back and create a new world, and he wants to be part of that. And Jesus has given us an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. And he's, he keeps that for us. How blessed are we? How happy are we? Let's pray. Lord, we give you great thanks for uh, your word and this psalm that gives us a picture of a blessed life. Uh, this source of joy that endures through all circumstance, um, that allows us to live for lasting things and more glorious things. Lord, we know that it comes in us reflecting on what you have done for us, in who you are, and so, Lord, help us to delight in your ways, in your teachings, and in your law. Help us to meditate on it day and night. And help us to build our lives around your teachings, that we may stand the judgment, 
that we may stand with the righteous, that we may face you um, with great joy when you come back. Lord, we are facing many difficulties in our life right now. We pray that you will help us to draw our strength from you. Um, We will face many difficulties as we go um, this week. We pray that we will draw our strength from you. Help us to be more like this tree. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.